My name is Nives Milosevic Horacek and originally I'm from Croatia. has a calling for everyone if we're just ready and willing to listen and do what we're good at. Are we in the apocalypse? Maybe that's a question you've heard family members, coworkers, or friends ask from behind masked faces or video chat windows. As we face a global pandemic, racial tensions, and a fractured political climate, this feels like an apocalyptic time. These issues can divide us and put immense stress on our everyday lives. Whether it's brutality towards people of color captured on cell phone videos, partisan corruption, or seemingly continuous news of natural disasters, we are almost becoming desensitized to the tragedies that we witness. The word apocalypse comes from a Greek word that means an unveiling or unfolding of things not previously known, and which could not be known apart from the unveiling. This word has been co-opted to describe what some would call the end times, but the book of Daniel uses the apocalyptic style to catalog a time in biblical history when Daniel is used by God to allow an ancient people living in a powerful empire to see truth of the world as God sees it. It's powerful. Its purpose is to open the eyes of God's people. In a time when we're all wearing masks, how many of us have eyes to see the world the way that God does? Throughout the journey through Daniel, we will experience stories of people from our own church community as they share their experiences of apocalypse and awakening and discover that even when all hope seems lost, God is at work creating something beautiful. I first met Nevis as part of our church, as someone who is passionate about telling their story of being from a war-torn town in Croatia. She has a way of seeing the world as full of opportunities, regardless of the difficulties that she experiences. As a world-ranked tennis player, an immigrant, a mother, in what may seem like chance or luck, or the opposite, in tragedy or challenge, She's made her way in life through foreign experiences to show me what it's like to live confidently in the face of trial. In this last of our journey stories, I would challenge you to see what it's like to be on the outside looking in, to put yourself in this story and imagine how you might react in a similar experience. My name is Nives Milosevic Horacek, and originally I'm from Croatia. What about your story made you go, actually, this is something that I should share? You know, in one song it says, if you receive and you believe, testify. I'm an introvert and very, um, don't really like to talk about myself, but I think it's important when we go through certain things in life and experience certain things. So yeah, I just feel like whenever there is God's presence in someone's life, including in mine, going through certain things and surviving certain things, if you feel the blessing of it, I think it's encouraging to share with others. Yeah, I agree. So take me through just your childhood. 
I'm from Croatia, but I was born in Yugoslavia, and I was a child from a mixed marriage between a Croatian and a Serb, which didn't really matter when we had Yugoslavia, but when the civil war in 91 in Croatia started, that seemed to count of all that matters. And on top of being from a mixed marriage, I had the last name of a Serbian president. So you kind of couldn't hide. So I was kind of belonging nowhere to the either side. I'm, I was 15 when the war started. So the war part was really, really challenging. I mean, literally with bombs falling like above my head and stuff. What was it like growing up before that? Uh, it was socialism. So it was very, um, we didn't talk about God, but my mother was a Catholic. You know, it wasn't forbidden. You just couldn't publicly talk about it. Mm. But my mom is a Catholic. My dad is an Orthodox Serb. So we had two Christmases, two Easter's, but there was always God and Jesus present in our house. And my parents said, you don't have to pick, but as long as you follow God's word, you can decide creation, Serbia doesn't matter to them because they obviously fell in love and had a family and they didn't care about those differences, you know, which is kind of silly because we really believe in the same thing mm-hmm. with few different dates. And that's, I mean, that's a beautiful picture too. <laughs> Just your parents are like, listen, love, love is first. Love is first. Yeah. And my mom always said, God doesn't care. God loves everyone. Mm-hmm. So whichever side you pick, you'll be all right. That's so cool. And then 15 things change. For those of us who don't know mm-hmm. about that civil war, like what happened? Well, (laughs) it depends kind of who you ask, honestly, Mm -hmm. to be politically correct. But what happened is Yugoslavia was consisted of six republics and Croatia was one of them. And Croatia decided to separate and be independent country. But the problem was there was a lot of Serbs living in Croatia because after the Second World War, when we had Yugoslavia, we were all mixed up, like including my family. And then the Serbs didn't want to join the independent Croatia. They wanted to stay in in Yugoslavia. And that's where the war started. And I'm actually from a town that was known as a military town, which means we had a lot of military in my town. So my town was a border town. And Mm. those were the unlucky ones in the war. Mm. Because there was always, for four years, there was always kind of a fighting and shooting and bombing until the war ended in 95. And how did your like everyday life change? Because a 15 year kid. Yeah, like- I was in high school and um, we spent first year every night in a basement because the bombing was always at night. I don't know why. <laughs> and then during the day, if we didn't have emergency, we would go out. I don't know. You run to store, quickly get something if you can. The school, we didn't have it. It was over the radio. So we just kind of did homework and read and, you know, whatever we could wasn't the priority. It was mostly the survival. So that was kind of the life for a few years. The first year was the worst. And then, you know, it was kind of like you never knew when it's going to happen. Like I could be playing tennis on a court and, you know, there's an alarm and I'm running home and there's like bombs flying, falling down, planes above my head. And I'm like, all right, I'm almost home. Maybe made and maybe not. And that's where the faith comes in. When like things around you are just um, you have no influence, no power, no control. And then when like, you know, usually when we're always down to our knees, that's when we say, okay, God, come on, step in. I just can't do this on my own. And I just always felt like, you know what, God, if you're there, come on, like, let's, let's make a, a sense out of this, a reason, a purpose. How did you see God show up? I was just always asking him, like, I mean, I kind of really 
didn't really know if I'm going to make it or not at that point, because after like so many years of living through that, you just kind of tune out. And it's like, oh, if it happens, it happens, if not. And I was just always saying like, hey, you know, if I make this through, like if I survive, like just throw me away. Like, what's my purpose? Like, why am I doing this? Why am I the lucky one? You know, like, what do I do with this? Like this experience, it can't be for nothing. Mm-hmm. So what can I personally make out of this if I'm meant to be the one that survives the lucky one? Yeah. So... You're 17, you said. So you're mm-hmm. living through this war. It's yeah. a multi-year war. What changed? Um, I was invited to play tennis in Germany. I was um, okay tennis player. And I told my parents, you know, I'm 17. I want to go. I don't want to be here in the middle of the war. I'm done with this if I can. And crazy enough, I was young. I didn't know how hard it's going to be. So I went to Germany. I played one year for them. And then I came home to finish my school because I was kind of studying on my own mm-hmm. to graduate high school. And while I was preparing to finish and graduate, at that point, 18, I got an offer to come to Chicago to play tennis for DePaul University. Wow, how'd they even find you? Excellent story. My coach never saw me play. I had a world ranking, so she like saw the player, contacted the tennis federation and said, do you have a girl who finished high school? And, you know, is also like ranked and has some kind of a like, okay, she should be good. Mm -hmm. And I was one of the girls who that year graduated because a lot of good girls didn't focus on school. And my parents always say school first and then everything else. So I graduated and I said, you know what, I'm going to go try. And my parents said, it's a two-way ticket. You can always come back if you don't like it. Wow. That's super cool, but terrifying. Terrifying. And that's where I, maybe first time in my life really felt... Like, I couldn't do this. It's just too hard. I'm so attached to my mom. Like, my life goal was to get a job in the same building with her. Mm. But it's, it just felt like a wind behind my back. Kind of like, you got to go do this. You got to go do this. You know, like, have faith. It's going to be okay. And that's literally how I came. I just kind of felt it was something I have to do. Like, I could not not do it. It yeah. wasn't even so much that I was adventurous or brave. Not at all. It was just how the whole thing happened. Even how she found me out of nowhere. Never saw me play. And, you know, it was a chance to also study and play tennis because in Croatia, after you graduate high school, you either go professional, which I didn't really have financial means, or, you know, you go to college, but there's no sports. Mm. So I was like, hey, I can play tennis for four more years. Sounds great. So you came to Chicago. Mm -hmm. What was that like? Well, I didn't realize that when I was coming here, I was just so focused on tennis and making sure I do a good job for DePaul University and all that, that I didn't realize that I'm coming here to study in English. And I did take English in school, but you can't compare that to the college level. Growing up with the language for sure. Yeah. I mean, like even my story in Germany, you know, when the coach called me and I said, what do I have to do? She says, nothing. You just have to take this test, you know, SAT and TOEFL. And if you pass enough, like then you can come. So like, I don't know what SAT is. I go get a book. I study for a month. I go take the exam. (laughs) You're an inspiration to us all. (laughs) No, no, no. I was just ignorant. Like now that I have kids living here, I realize what a process it is, how important it is. I didn't know, which was a blessing at a time. And I passed by five points to get it. Amazing. So took a test. I passed and and then I came here. But that's when, you know, the real work began for me Mm -hmm. because I had to play tennis every day travel tournaments every weekend. Our season is from September through May. So the whole year and uh, all three trimesters and the studying, I mean, it used to take me like an hour to write one page and the dictionary was well used. The best friend. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That was the time before the smartphones and stuff. For sure. 
you probably learned a lot. I did. I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about what I'm capable of doing. And also um, just the culture. I mean, I didn't know much about America. I did not have an American dream. It just kind of, you know, happened. And when I came here, I was fascinating. It took me many years to assimilate. It was very different from what I was used to. What did you learn about yourself during that time? That I am so much more capable than I think I can, that I can do stuff and that I just have to have faith. And then sometimes when things don't happen, there's a good reason for it, even if I don't know what it is. Mm. What is it like being an immigrant? Well, I was very fortunate that I was always around people who were loving and supportive, who didn't care that my English was quotation marks broken, that I spoke funny that I was missing a lot of words. So I was in surrounding kind of into that, you know, student athletes environment where by the time I got better at it, you know, I was under a little bubble. And I have to say, you know, the professors understood and supported. Mm -hmm. But of, of course, there were people who, you know, assumed that if you don't speak perfect English, that means that you are not smart. Mm. Or that the way you speak is, you know, a reflection of your intelligence or mm. something like that. But, you know, there's all kinds of people and you just have to not let that influence you, impact you, and you just kind of do your thing and do the best you can. Yeah. I think the weird thing about immigration right now is that there's this view that like people from other places don't have anything to contribute. Yeah. And that's such like a false kingdom narrative. We are better the more diverse people that we have. Well, I was at one tournament where we are hosted by families Mm. in the town we stay in. And we were staying with a family that um, during the dinner that hosted us the first night, my friend and I, who also came from Croatia, played tennis. They were discussing how the scholarship shouldn't be given to um, international students because it takes away from the American taxpaying people, which, you know, I understand her point of view, but to have the discussion at the dinner table, you know, while while you're hosting us and I'm kind of like, what do you say? Like, I'm like, you know what? I, I don't know what to say. You know, it's just one of those things. Yeah. You know, being in Europe, you're surrounded by so many countries Mm -hmm. and inevitably you will travel and you will experience or if you live in a tourist country like Croatia with a coast, you will be exposed to other languages, cultures, you know, the way they dress, the way they talk and behave even. And in America, even though it's, um, you know, it's kind of like a melting pot of things, it's still kind of separated and kind of shielded from the rest of the world. For So for people who, you know, maybe are born and grow, grow up in small towns, they're just not exposed to that. Mm-hmm. So anything new for a lot of people is maybe scary, but it's not. If you can look at it as exciting, you don't know what you're going to find out and learn. I found that to be true. Like travel, that's how you get rid of ignorance, really, in, yes. in your view of the world. So how do you talk to people who don't view that or haven't had that opportunity, honestly. Maybe just assume that they're not coming from like a mean place, but just a place of not understanding and being scared of change or being scared of something they don't understand. You know, like, I don't know, if you go to a medical office and someone says, I don't know, you got this and there's like this scary name you never heard of, you don't know anything about it. So you're not educated. You don't really know what it is. Mm -hmm. And you make a lot of assumptions. So grace is kind of the first thing I go to where I try not to react or be defensive myself, but kind of rather like, okay, this is who I am. You know, would you like to talk? And also giving them an option not to be open to it if they're not ready. That's really wise.
your personal life was something that um, came up in your story too. Mm -hmm. It seems like you experienced a lot after college. Yes. So after college, I was kind of planning on going back to Croatia, which always was my plan. But I ended up falling in love, getting married and staying here and telling my family, sorry, guys, (laughs) I'm going to be living here from now on. So um, I got married. I uh, worked for Joel Asco for nine years. I was a procurement manager in the main office, and then I got pregnant, and I was pregnant with twins, and I lost one baby at 10 weeks, and then the other one at 30 weeks. Wow. Yeah, it was a very, I don't know, unusual circumstances, pregnancy and everything, but the interesting thing that happened is when I was 30 weeks pregnant, I got placenta rupture and ended up in a hospital and the baby died. And then I ended up getting pulmonary embolism, mm. really bad case of it. And when I was laying there, I just heard this whisper in my head and had a whole conversation of something that I believe happened to me, but that my husband at the time and the nurses were like, I don't know, you were quiet, you didn't say a word. And I just had this this whole story happened to me in my head that I believe strongly was real, but no one else heard. And that was kind of God's blessing to me of proof that I just got to keep believing and being faithful and just um, trusting him. Yeah. A theme that comes up in Daniel a lot mm-hmm. is that God's plan will be made known. Yes. Particularly when leadership doesn't necessarily represent us well or care for people well. Yes. But you have to have eyes to see it. Yes. How do you feel like God gave you eyes to see? Well, I don't know. This might sound like a little crazy story, but like I said at the beginning, you know, if it happens, you have to testify because I don't have a power to make happen what happened. So in that thing that happened to me, I heard a whisper say to me that this baby is not meant to be, but the one next year will be. And I was very angry. I was just so angry and whatever you want to call it, dream or something. And the whisper just kept saying, you don't need to know why. That's just how it's going to be. Kind of like in Genesis, you know, Abraham, like, yeah, baby's coming, you know, but, you know, this is going to be the one that's meant to be. So I just had this whole thing in my head. And first I thought I was just on drugs or like, you know, medication mm-hmm. or something. So then what happened is I shared it with my husband and he was okay. You know, I don't know what to tell you, but the story is that next year after that happened to the date that the baby was supposed to be born, I had a baby girl Mm. and the voice told me it would be a girl. And so she was, Mm. and I don't know how to explain it and I don't know how to, but you know, when you live through something like that, I mean, the faith is unshakable, Yeah, which I think prepared me well for when seven years after that, my husband passed away. And I was a widow here with seven and a five-year-old by myself with no family. How did your husband pass away? Very sudden and unexpected. Just left for work and never came back. He was 38 and it was just a shock. And I think, you know, when I look back to my life and the tragedies of it, I think it's just slowly prepared me you can't be prepared for this, but just kind of like, hey, you know, hang in there. Like things will be better. There is a plan. Just got to believe. Yeah. Without that belief and faith, I probably wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. Yeah. I mean, you've had some serious, painful experiences, even just starting with the war mm-hmm. to leaving family behind. That's painful in itself. You yeah. Know? And then 
the last two experiences you've described. But like, as I talk to you, mm-hmm. I don't see that pain. I see a lot of joy and like yeah. a lot of positivity. How do you do that? Well, it's been a long road. You don't see it now, but there was a lot of tears and a lot of good people around me. A lot of people who helped me even keep my faith. And that's why I always wonder, like, why would all these things be happening? I mean, like, I'll make a list of stuff that happened. But when I was ready two years ago, I did a care ministry school here at North Shore Willow Creek. And as I was training and learning in a class, I realized that all my experiences are really just kind of part of a school for me to be ready and be prepared to help and serve people in my life, to help others who are going through, you can never say the same, but similar things. Mm -hmm. Because I had just so much stuff happen that there's so many people I can reach out and I can say, hey, I'm here. I'm here to hold your hand. I'm here to talk to you. I'm here to be there for you because those were the people who saved me. Wow. That's a high calling. (laughs) Not everybody can do that. But you know, that's why God made us all different. And that's why I try to have patience with people, you know, how we talked about that don't understand immigrants, don't understand certain things and are so set in their ways. I think God has a calling for everyone if we're just ready and willing to listen and, you know, do what maybe we're good at or should be doing. Yeah. You know, in Daniel's story throughout the whole book, what is very clear is that this person who started out as very powerless, you know, he's a slave basically taken from a country, a slave and his life was enacted basically upon him. Mm -hmm. But his faith and his service to the Lord is what practically allowed him to keep going through life and keep advancing. And I'm wondering for you, how have you seen that story play out in your own life? I can't even think about how many times in my life when I thought there's no way that things are going to work out or be okay, or how am I going to do this? God showed up in so many small miracles through people, through things. I mean, one time I remember a story, I was cleaning my own snow, as we know in Chicago, they can have. Mm -hmm. And I was cleaning my driveway and there was a neighbor next to me. And we cleaned driveway so many times next to each other. And he had a, you know, snow, a snowblower. And I didn't, I was old fashioned shovel. And never did he say a word. And then one time I was showering, I was just so tired. And I was like, I can't do this. I laid on the ground. And I was like, I'm done. Like, like God, Jesus, come on, I need something. <laughs> and as I said that, I was looking at the snow falling down and how beautiful it was in the middle of my nervous breakdown. And here comes the neighbor and he says to me, hey, how about a shower for you today? I'm like, oh my God, thank you so much. I mean, but that was like, just like small miracles, really. Like when, you know, I do my thing and, you know, I like to think I'm strong and tough, but like, you know, sometimes we're just not, sometimes it's just not right. Or we need to be in a position where God can show himself. Wow. That's profound. It's only when you laid your shovel down yes, and started to, to look around and even see the beauty in the snow falling down, mm-hmm. even though it was too much for me to clean it. But I was just like, like, I've always felt that when I surrender, when I'm just done controlling and doing things on my own, that's when God says, okay, now you can listen. Now you can hear me. That's beautiful. I'm not going to say I am great at it all the time, but I do try. I do try because when I try to do things my way, the way I think they should be, I'm surprised oftentimes unpleasantly. Yeah. It sounds like there's a wind at your back that is not, um, not a wind of chance. Well, I feel like there's work to be done. 
and that I'm here for a specific reason. And I try, you know, I, I try to listen, really. Yeah. How has Willow played a part in sort of this last section of your story? Tremendous. I mean, really saved me when my husband passed away. That was a place to go and be with friends and a big family. When I say big family, I mean, you just walk through the door and everyone is so kind, so loving, so inviting. For years, uh, I volunteer in Promised Land and I still do. I love being part of this family. My kids are growing up here. It's a place to be safe and loved and learn and worship God. I wish we have something like this more around the world. Because if we had a church like Willow Creek in Croatia during the war, things would be different. Things would be different because, you know, the message would be love and not what your last name is. Mm. It's really good. I just want to tell everyone there's always hope. As long as we are here, God's grace and God's love. And sometimes our prayers are unanswered, but it's not because God is busy or doesn't care or doesn't love us. There's a plan. And sometimes we just have to be patient and we might not get the answers why things are unanswered, but sometimes there are blessings, really. We just don't know them. So always keep the faith and just stay positive and and find people in your life who support you and love you and who can be there for you and never give up. That's great. A lot of people, depending on where they come from or their own experiences growing up, they feel powerless. That's a theme in Daniel that the powerless can sometimes be the ones who have eyes to see the revolution, Mm -hmm. even before the people who have power. What do you say to those people? That's a tough one, but I will just say it will work for me. It's difficult to be happy or to be happy all the time or satisfied with everything in your life. And most of the times we're not. If we're honest, we're not. But if you can find joy, if you can find joy in your life, no matter what's going on around you, as powerless as you feel, no one can touch or take away that joy. That is something that no matter how someone treats you or behaves toward you or, you know, abuses you because of your last name like me or just doesn't like you for whatever reason, if you can keep the joy in your heart that you are God's beloved child, no matter what, no one can take that away from you. And just know that, you know, there's always someone caring for you, even if you're by yourself, if you're lonely, but you're never alone. And just, if you can, if you have a Bible, read the Word and stay in it. It's beautiful. Let's agree to welcome those who are different as people who can teach us more about God through their humanity. God's kingdom has no borders and the faithful should have no reason to fear others seeking the same purpose. The beauty in this is that it allows us to follow God's plan rather than hoping God will meet us on our journey. It allows us to release power, to not claim that ours are the plans of God or that we necessarily represent his goals. He doesn't need us to do that after all. He is more than capable of doing that on his own In doing so, we acknowledge that the powerless are the ones who can see and hear the will of God, without the possibility of power or systems of control corrupting the story being written.
This is an apocalypse. This is a reckoning with ourselves and the world around us. Together, let's embrace the apocalypse as we begin seeing people how God sees them, with eyes to see and ears to hear. This episode was recorded as a part of the Journey Through Daniel study at Willow Creek North Shore, a location of Willow Creek Community Church. It was produced by me, Tyler Hoff, with contributing producers Caleb Wilcox and Grace Zerker, and edited by Abby Circatella. Special thanks to our audio engineer, Matthew Skripsinski. And if you haven't, jump in with us for the Journey Through Daniel 